They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. Your pants I'll tell tight. you something uh, I think you'll understand Doubtful When I What? Don't say something Huh? I wanna hold your hand oh, geez, I wanna hold your hand There are dogs running for their lives right now what, from What's that. wrong? That was so high Yeah You made Prince blush Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on Thoughts That Rock. It's the podcast that's about sharing pieces of life-changing advice. That's how we do it. We're going to squeeze it like OJ, fresh-squeezed OJ. Like my pants. Into about 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we are. TMI. Hey, um, I'm not sure if anybody's in the California area or if you're planning on attending NAM, the NAM conference. What does that stand for, Brand? Do you remember? Nah. Uh, <laughs> it has something to do with mm, music and technology. Yeah, it's the National Association of Music Merchants or Manufacturers. I think you made merchants. that up. But we're performing we are. a Thoughts That Rock live yeah, at that baby. conference, which has something like 110,000 people. Right. In Anaheim. In Anaheim, California. And the actual date, if I recall, is going to be January, January I think, like 18th it or is. something like that. Yeah, so, yeah. hey, if you're interested in going to that conference, you can totally check it out online. But... Uh, you know, if you're already in that area and that's your jam, come and check us out. We'd love to have you. Thoughts That Rock? Help support Cannonball Kids Cancer. You know what? We've talked about it since we started. Uh, we want to support their fight for finding treatment options for kids who've run out of options. So get on that computer. Go to cannonballkidscancer.org and give them some money. Yeah, and they are so fantastic. We, we totally dig them. Yeah. And listen, we get it. We know how busy you are. You got a lot of stuff happening in your life. Yep. And just grabbing a moment to step away and get a little mm-hmm. bit of leadership inside that noggin. Yeah. Hard to come by. We That's totally true. understand, which is why it doesn't really matter what you're doing right now. You could be, let's say, getting a pedicure. Ouch. Or you're carving up meats at Arby's. Oh, you're like this. Or maybe you're taking a Greyhound bus to a college wrestling match. Ding, ding. This it is my stop. Doesn't really matter at all to us. We're about to give you the 20 minutes that you've been looking forward to all week. Let's do this. I want to hold your hand. Rock on. <laughs> Oh, man, our guest today is fantastic. He was named by the Huffington Post as the number one business speaker to see. He's one of Inc. Magazine's top 50 leadership experts, and he's the best-selling author of some of my absolutely favorite business books, including The Radical Leap, The Radical Edge, two of my faves. It's business guru extraordinaire Steve Farber. Steve, welcome to Thoughts That Rock. Thank you, boys. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, we're the ones who are honored. Really, this is uh, this is a, a great moment for us to have you on the show. You know, and uh, Brian, I think you probably know from from his uh, bio, which, by the way, we're going to have in the show notes for anybody interested in, in doing a deep dive on Steve. But he's currently the president of Extreme Leadership, which uh, focuses on developing leaders around the world, and that's. Pretty much every area, I think, business, nonprofit, education, you name it, he's able to play in that space and help people out. Uh, formerly the VP of the Tom Peters Company. I'm a huge fan of Tom Peters. He's one of my early business heroes, so I know he's got that DNA running through his veins. 
Um, already talked about just the, the author of several books, particularly his newest one, which is Love is Just Damn Good Business, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we're going to talk about. I love that. And, and Steve just speaks to hundreds of companies around the world. And again, we're just... We're giddy that uh, you were able to make it on the show. But, you know, just to be a little bit different, Steve, we do things a little bit, um, you know, different from, I think, a lot of other podcasts. We're not doing the long interview style. We jump right into the heart of the great pieces of advice that our fans are looking forward to. So we're going to leave the floor open to you, brother. What is your thought that rocks? Thoughts that rock, number one. Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, this actually comes uh, comes to me from one of my most significant mentors, uh, who just recently passed away. As a matter of fact, mm. his name is Terry Terry Pierce, who is one of the finest executive coaches on the planet. And the in in a nutshell, the thought is this: whenever you get uncomfortable or even negative feedback. Instead of resisting that feedback, assume that it was right. Even if you disagree with it, assume that it was right and go from there. Hmm, hmm. See where that takes. Love it. I hate it, but I want to listen to how he's going (laughs) to describe it. I hate it too. (laughs) That was just uncomfortable for me. Sorry. That that makes me very uncomfortable, but I I want to hear more. I will assume that you're right, yes. and I'll go from there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what did, what did Terry yeah. mean when he told you that? Yeah, so here's the context for it. I um, So we did, when I was at, at the Tom Peters company, the aforementioned Tom Peters, who I'm going to guess, you know, if you're listening to this and you're younger than 50 years old, you likely don't know who Tom <laughs> Peters is, which is really tragic. It is. Um, but Tom was one of the great management thinkers of our day, and I was vice president of his company in the mid 90s to um, year 2000. And we, at, at that time, developed a workshop based on Terry Pierce's work. So that's how I met Terry. And Terry's work was all about authentic leadership communication, authenticity. Mm-hmm. He was talking about authenticity before this had become a buzzword. You know, I'm talking about 1994, 95. Yeah. Right? So we developed a workshop on this. And one of the ways that we got business at the Tom Peters company is we would do these previews where we'd invite potential clients and we would do a little preview of a workshop, you know, in the hope that they would like it and buy it and bring us in to conduct that workshop for their companies. So on this particular day, it was my job to give the preview of the leading out loud workshop, this workshop based on Terry's work, which was all about authentic leadership communication. So I got up there, did my thing. This was in the days of the overhead projector, if you remember those. <laughs> of course. And I'm, you know, I'm throwing the slides on there, and I'm giving a little lecture about authenticity, and then I had the group do a little little exercise, and, and it was all going swimmingly as far as I could tell. I finished my piece, you know, thunderous applause and all that. So I'm thinking, okay, this went great. And then one of the participants came up to me, and he said, thank you for inviting me. This was really it was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. But I have some feedback for you. Here which we go. Is always, which is always great to hear right after you. We love that. I love that. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's nice. Um, what is it? And he said, well, I don't think you modeled what it was that you were teaching. Well, Which is pretty tough feedback when what you're teaching is authenticity. Yeah. Right? Yikes. Right? Yep. So I was really taken aback by it. And I said, oh, well, you know, could could you could you be more specific? 
you know, help me understand what you mean. And he said, well, you know, the thing is, you, you're, you're very eloquent. You talk and there's, there's rarely a, a mistake, you know, when you speak and you're using the slides really well and really slick. And all these things. So I thought it was just kind of, you know, really polished and, and a little a little too slick. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I was devastated. I didn't, I yeah. didn't know what to do with that. So that evening, when I got home, I called Terry. And I told him what happened. And I said, help me figure out what to do with this. And he said, okay, two things. Number one, don't expect that you're going to be able to connect with all people all the time. You can't, you can't connect with everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? And just understand that. Yep. So, I, so I said, oh, well, that, oh yeah, you're right, Terry. By gosh, you're so smart. You are right. But, you know, it made me feel good. It kind of let me off the hook. And then he said, and number two, assume he was right and go from there. <laughs> and I'm telling you guys, that was likely the most, talk about a thought that rocks. It rocked me. Yeah. And, and it was likely the most um, transformational bit of coaching I've ever gotten. Because what yeah. it did for me was this. Here's what it did. Um, there are times, you know, authenticity is, is, you know, we all know how important it is. It's become a buzzword. And for me in the work that I do, you know, whether I'm speaking or coaching or whatever it's, it, or consulting, it's all about being real. I mean, this is like a very, very important value to me. And at the same time, when I'm giving a keynote and I find myself telling a story that I've told a hundred times, there are times where I just become aware of that it's, I'm just kind of phoning it in. My mouth is moving and the words mm-hmm. are coming out. Yeah. yeah. But I'm not really there. And and that feedback from that guy on that day who challenged me on my own authenticity, that rings as a reminder to me in the context of assume he was right. Because what I did was I did. I, I assumed he was right. And I thought, well, what was it then? And it was letting technique uh, get in the way of connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really challenged myself to not let that happen to this day. And that was, you know, that was in 1995 we're talking about here. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's amazing, Steve, you know, so as fellow speakers that are out there as well, you know, I, I always find now I, my background comes from the music world on one side uh, and from the preaching world on the other side. And so I, I you know, when I, see people that are out there doing it and they do the same thing it's almost like a comedian's act right they sort of have their shtick their bit and they and they go out and they do it a hundred times across the country and it's the same bit every time to the same time to the same length and there's there's a part of me that dies inside every time i see that happen um and and it's because i i don't I think it's extremely difficult to capture lightning in a bottle if you're that calculated um if you really want to be authentic, you got to let the room ha- have some control. You got to let the room dictate a little bit of how you respond and where you go and in the stories you tell. It's okay to have a structure. It's okay to have um, enough sort of edges to what you do so that it gives you the freedom to, to function within that structure, but not so calculated that you have a tendency to phone it in because you're right. When you do it over and over and over again, I mean, in the band, you know, touring, playing 125 dates plus a year, you know, you play the same set list every night. Trust me, by the by the 30th or 40th night you're out on tour, you're like, 
I just want to play something else. You know, I want to yeah. play, I want to play another yeah. song. Um, but that's not what the fans want. And it's the first time exactly. they've, they've heard you. Right. And so you've got to respect that. You've got to be able to deliver it. Like it's the first time you've delivered it with that passion and with that, you know, all, sort of all those values rolled into one to make sure that it impacts the way you want it to impact. I think though, it, you know, another way of looking at it, even if you, not that you want people to phone it in, you know, but let's just say you are doing the same thing over and over when you were a preacher yeah. or like Steve, when you were, yeah. when you're speaking, right. You know, you have choices if somebody were to come up and say, I just want to give you a piece of advice. Like you can either be like, okay, here we go. And you dismiss it, right? Because you've done it enough times. Or to your point, it actually sinks in. Every once in a while, you need someone to give you a swift kick for you to have the uh, the epiphany to say, they might be right. Or maybe I've been doing it the same way for so long. Or to your point, Brent, you know, maybe you you want to be authentic but you all of a sudden have moved into that you know phoning it in sort of approach i think to your point steve what you're saying is you, you can believe them or not you can take the advice or not but you ought to just assume that it's right and if it, if nothing else step back right and see is there something i could have done better to absolutely rock their face off yeah exactly and and to your point you know that the example of of the musician or the speaker that's either singing the same song night after night or telling the same story day after day. Um, here's the conclusion I've come to on this. It's not the, the, the authenticity isn't a function of how, um, how well the story is told and how many times it's been told. It's a function of how present the speaker is during yep. the telling. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and in my experience, the more, the more I, really embody the story that I'm telling, the more I'm able to be present and respond to that particular group in that particular moment. And as opposed to being all caught up in what am I supposed to say next? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it actually allows us, I think, to to be more present with the group, which then gives us the space to be spontaneous and and uh, and responsive to what's going on right then and there. And what happens oftentimes, I find, is that my my stories and examples evolve because if I'm present enough and there's a response, I say something, somebody in the audience responds and I respond to that. It gives me a new insight on the story. The story takes on that new dimension and develops into something else. Um, that's that's beautiful. It's yeah. it, it's not, you know. There, I think there's the other thing that I learned. I learned many things from Terry, and he's been on my mind a lot lately because he recently passed away, and I was at a memorial for him actually just over the weekend. Hmm. And you know, one of the other things I learned from him is there's this misconception that that authenticity means spontaneity, and spontaneity means winging it. And that's You're not speaking the, our language. Yeah, <laughs> yes. we love this. Yeah, keep never going. wing it. Never, ever, ever wing it. It's you know, the more uh, practiced you are, not sounding, it's not about sounding scripted. It's about really embodying the message that you're teaching, whether you're actually giving a speech from a stage or, or having a conversation with your team at work or with one customer for that matter. Yeah. It's knowing, knowing your content so deeply that that gives you the space and the confidence to be spontaneous and responsive and authentic in the moment. Yeah. And I, I mean, you are so dead on um, with, 
with this idea of winging it. Um, this uh, my my next book uh, that comes out next year really starts the whole book off with this epidemic of winging it in this country. Oh um, wow! And and it is. You know, the, the way that I talk about it is basically there's a, I think there's a huge difference between being intentional and acting with deliberate intention. And, and the, the, the way that I try to describe it or the, what comes to my mind, the story that always comes to my mind is, you know, a few years ago we were, uh, our, my band, Big Kettle Drum had just recorded our last record in Los Angeles. Uh, and, and we had had an amazing experience. We got to record with Bob Dylan's band, right? So, so cool. Uh, his his guitar or his uh, bass player, his keyboard player, and his drummer, and so we were. I just want to reach out through the phone right now and touch. You. <laughs> <laughs> I'll touch okay, him for ahead. you. It was it was yeah. it was an incredible experience. These were guys that were just seasoned vets, and and we had a, an amazing experience. And so, we are, are are driving back. We drove out from Florida because we wanted our own gear because we're music tone snobs, <laughs> and we wanted to make sure we had our own amplifiers. And so you know we we are driving now back from California to Florida and it's about six o'clock in the morning the day after we left um, we had just passed uh, into New Mexico and you know the sun's coming up it's sort of blinding you can't really see that well and as we're driving there's really no other cars on the road at all at 6 a.m but th there was actually come to find out one other car on the road and that was uh, a police car who <laughs> uh, promptly pulled us over and I I'm freaking out because I'm going I know I wasn't speeding so then I'm asking my bandmate do we have a tail light out you know did we get rid of that body in the trunk what what, what do we need to be worried about why am I getting pulled over right now and, and the you know the the cop comes to the window and he says to me do you know that you were driving in the left-hand lane? And I said, so <laughs> there's nobody on the road. There's nobody on the road. And he said, well, it's against the law in this state to drive in the left hand in the left-hand lane, unless you're passing. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's not a law in, in Florida. I, I'm not, a, I wasn't aware of that. I'm sorry. We'll, you know, get back in the right-hand lane and, and stick there for the rest of our journey home. And I did, and he let me off with a warning. But I, mm. but I often find that that's sort of the perfect example of, of how we live our lives. We're headed in the right direction, but we're in the wrong lane, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, if, if I would have been acting with deliberate intention, I would have known that rule. I would have <laughs> moved over to the right and done it deliberately on purpose, as opposed to just knowing that that's the destination I want to go to. I'm headed in that direction. I know that I'm going to get there eventually, but I'm winging it the whole time <laughs> until I arrive at my destination. And and yeah, um, that's a great that's a great metaphor. And uh, you know, I thought you I thought he was I thought you were going to say he told you yeah, but this is a this is a two lane road. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been funny. That would have been great. Really being in the wrong lane. That's going in the right direction. You know, actually, that's a really good extension of your metaphor, right? Yeah. Because because you can be going in the right direction and driving in the really wrong. Yeah. Lane. Right. Right. That's uh, hilarious. In other words, taking taking way too many risks. Yep. That endanger not only yourself but the people around you. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. That's great stuff. You know, that, this... that is that is a thought that rocks. <laughs> it is. It is. You've already given a thought that rocks. And Steve's given one. Done. Right. We are out. You know, I was thinking about, um, you know, Terry's great 
uh, thought there and, and, and assuming that whatever the feedback is, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, just assume that it's right. And it, you know, you said you're going all the way back to the mid nineties. And this is why I'm such a huge fan of the three, 360 degree feedback assessment tools. Right. When, when right. I was, uh, you know, my former life, in human resources, we use these tools all the time and I loved them. Maybe not the first time, but you know what a 360 tool is, right? You're getting feedback from your boss, from your, your direct uh, reports, your peers that are on a level playing field. It might even be your friends or spouse or whatever. So it's funny when you take this report, you also are answering the exact same leadership questions. And so when you get this report, you might think you're awesome at communication, but nine other people say you suck at communication. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't dismiss that, right? You actually have to assume that they're right and do something with it. And I just, I remember the first time that I ever did one on my own and I was supposed to be administering these things, but I did one on my own. And, and honestly, it was so easy for me to get defensive and frustrated. And, and I needed to take a step back and, and look at it as data, as genuine feedback like you said steve and you look at it as you know this is just stuff that's going to make me better and i got to the point that i started doing one every single year with the same respondents the same people because then i could truly measure what did i have any performance change did they see my leadership as being different so i i love this quote i think there's some actual practicalities not just for us as speakers i think anybody in life you know, there are probably people that love you that are in your camp, they're in your corner, and you need a couple of these people whispering in your ear, especially when you're doing something wrong and don't get defensive. Take a step back and just assume they're right and see where it takes you. I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, those, um, those 360 assessments are really, really helpful. And <clears throat> what, do you remember which... Uh which one you use? You know, I've used them all. I, I We were using Corvertis. I've used uh, Myers-Briggs, had a version out there. The one that I probably used the most was Franklin Covey's. Um, I was a licensed mm -hmm. facilitator to, to teach, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. So that one was a little bit more on those habits, which were very leadership focused. But Strengths Finder, I mean, all, all of them are good. I think they put a yeah. white hot spotlight on stuff. I know, Brant, in your life, also with uh, banding people together. Yep. Um, they have one that focuses on collaboration. It's called the CHI, the Collaborative Harmony Index, yes. which is fantastic. But I think, you know, if you just did it regardless of the tool, the act itself, and as long as it truly is 360 and not, you know, 180 degrees, which is what most people get, one message from their boss and that's it. I think you're you right. miss out on getting, yeah. you know, the context of what you're talking about with, uh, with Terry Pierce's thought. Yeah. So, you know, I, um, I'm a big believer in, in that, you know, I think self-assessments can also be helpful in just beginning the reflection process. But th what I've always said to my clients is use the 360s and also understand that they're, they're supplements. Yeah. It's not the food, it's the supplement. And the food is having this conversation directly with as many people as possible. Exactly. You know, is really asking the question, what can I do to be a better leader, to be a better boss, to be a better vendor, to be a better human being, whatever it is. And, and uh, uh, that forms a basis for a relationship that's built on, on trust and love. And when you get around to doing the 360s as a way to quanti you know, quantify it a little bit more, people are going to be a lot more likely to give you their honest feedback. They, they are. already know they are. And that's a perfect setup because since you're talking about love and trust and, and standing up and speaking, I think it fits perfectly with the thought that uh, we came up with. Brant, this week, uh, you know, to really correspond, I think, with Steve's, what is our thought that rocks? 
Thoughts That Rock, number two. Uh, our Thought That Rocks this week comes from none other than Winston Churchill. Never heard of him. Uh, it's just a <laughs> small small guy who uh, had some little impact on his Changed the world. That's yes. right. Uh, his, and his thought was this. Courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And, you know, Steve, when I, when I found this quote, I just, you know, I think the biggest part of, of being able to do what you have suggested of, of receiving feedback and assuming it's true takes an incredible amount of self-awareness um, and, a, and an incredible amount of courage uh, to let that happen and not just that immediate knee-jerk reaction of getting your feelings hurt or, or thinking that someone's out to get you or they want your job or, or whatever it is that they are holding uh, a grudge in some way, shape, or form and not giving accurate feedback. Um, but I think that that level of self-reflection, no matter what the, the feedback is, comes with experience. It comes with the trust and love that you just mentioned, that if you are, have an environment at work that allows for that, um, then you can have these open Open conversations and really see the needle move within an organization um, to, to get to those areas of innovation and best practices because mm -hmm. that trust allows for these bone crushingly honest conversations to happen, but in a loving manner that you know, you know, at Band of People Together, you know, we have um, a uh, an intra band agreement that everybody agrees to that's part of our team. And they have an opportunity to add that intraband agreement, but ultimately one of the things, we break it into people in process. So here's how we want to be treated and here's how we agree to work together. And within that, um, one of the things we have is assume, you know, always assume best intentions and we want to help people step into their best selves. Well, Sometimes that requires a difficult conversation. Um, it doesn't mean that you don't have it because it's difficult. It means that you trust that the honesty is there and the trust has been built and the people can listen to it with that open mind and open heart to be able to receive it as it was intended. And because of that, we've been able to see astronomical growth and success within our organization because we've been able to build that uh, environment that supports what it is that you're yep. asking. Yeah. So um, if you look at the, that's all beautiful, by the way. And and if you look at the word courage itself, mm -hmm. you know, the root of the word courage is core, um, or core, which means heart. So, you know, it, it's literally having heart. And, and the way that, you know, another terminology, another term for having heart is love. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the deeper the, the love, you know, as, as you know, my new book is called Love is Just Damn Good Business. Great title. For that very reason. Great Thank title. You. For, it's, but it's for the reason that you just illustrated. If, if the mm -hmm. love and the trust is there, you work better together. You do better, you do better things for your customers. You have, you have a higher level of engagement. You have lower turnover. You have greater innovation, which leads to greater profitability, et cetera. It's just damn good business. And, and to, to, to say that, that love is somehow anathema to business is some long-term conditioning that we've just allowed ourselves to believe without really looking at it with a critical eye. Mm -hmm. And if we look at it with a critical eye, we see exactly what you're describing. It's, you know, courage, I'm going to be much more courageous. 
if I love and trust the people around me. I'm going to be much more likely to have those difficult conversations, to get that difficult feedback, to offer the kinds of ideas that I, that I feel compelled to offer with no fear of judgment or reprisal. That's that's what love looks like in business and everywhere else. Yep, I agree. You know, a couple things. First off, you know, it, it's it's got to be fun and and I'm sure you're super proud that you've got these the follow up from Radical Edge and Radical Elite which is actually still named one of the top 100 best business books of all time and here you are coming behind that with with something that a lot of people will probably think is touchy feely when you have the word love a lot of times in a business book title right I'm sure it throws some people off but I do believe that you know first off we need more love in the world than ever before right but I do think that people are being way more open-minded and you know I haven't had a chance to read that one yet I'm gonna you know jump on Amazon and, and grab a copy as soon as I we get off the show here but but I think when when you look at what you had as your initial thought you know assume that the feedback that you're gonna get is right and then you couple it with Brant what you're talking about that Winston Churchill said and you know part of it is standing up and speaking but the the other part of courage and love is just sitting down and shutting up, like don't say anything. And sometimes you've got to, you, you got to take the punch. And it reminds me of a, a good friend of ours, Mike Nightinger, who is currently he's the uh, president of Yard House, which is a a Darden restaurant concept. But before that, back in I'd say twenty five years ago, when he was working at Bennigan's, he shares that, and he freely admits this. He was a very tough general manager. He muscled the results quite a bit you know the very authoritative management style that was pretty prominent i think in the maybe the 80s and the 90s he tells a story that his director of operations put him on what he calls the plan and basically everybody around him did not like working for him because of how authoritative he was and so this uh this boss put him on a program and said listen you've got to sit down with every single one of your employees and you have to do it you're going to do it and you can ask them one thing how am I doing for you? How, how do I make you feel is basically the question. And his boss said, you are not allowed to defend yourself. You cannot respond in any way except to say, thank you very much for the feedback. And that's it. And I think it's funny because when he would share that story, I, I can only imagine me having to go through that. And he said the first time he did it initially, people wouldn't say anything. They, they wouldn't. They definitely wouldn't say anything negative because they were afraid something was going to happen to them. But then his boss made him do it again and again and again. And on a regular basis, when you do that, and eventually people start to open up and share how crappy his leadership style was, he freely admits that he could no longer deny that they were right. And it was uh, it was an epiphany. You know, He didn't have a Terry Pierce, I think, in his corner except for this one boss has said, you're not going to make it in this industry if you keep doing what you're doing. So, you know, I just, I, I love sort of connecting the two thoughts because they're both true. And here's a person who had to go through the gauntlet of listening to that feedback and assuming that it was right eventually, but he was somebody who couldn't stand up and speak. He had to sit there and listen. And eventually that sunk in. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, that is far more courageous than standing up and speaking, but that's, you know, it's all relative to you know, into each individual, but uh, none of us, I've never heard anybody say, and I've been doing, I've been doing this work for 30 years yeah. in one form yeah. or another. I've never heard anybody say, Oh, I, I love getting good, hard, <laughs> constructive feedback. My favorite, my favorite pastime. We all hate it. Listen, let's just acknowledge that. None yes, of us, like, true. Now what we could do is we can learn to love the results and the, and to love the lessons that come from it. 
which does make it you know easier and more palatable over time and and for that's a great illustration because what will happen a lot of times is is a, is a bit of a catch-22 um, a leader will take this idea to heart you know I'll, I'll make the same recommendation go to your folks and just ask the question how am I doing you know how can I improve how can I be a better leader for you and the catch-22 is the worse the answer is the less likely they are to tell you yeah yeah at first Yep. Because they don't trust you. That's right. Right? It's like, oh, you're great. Oh, thanks for asking. You're fantastic. <laughs> That's right. Couldn't imagine a better boss. So so the, the trap to fall into is to say, well, I tried that. I asked them, and they told me I was great. So, I'll, you know, on to the next thing. And and it it actually gets to the point. I remember telling telling an executive a long time ago who, who, who just had this exact scenario in his senior team. I heard all the conversations. I heard everything that people were saying about him. But when he asked them, he got a completely different picture because, right. you know, for, for the obvious reasons, they didn't trust him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I said, to, I remember his name was George. And I said, and it was a pharmaceutical company. I said, George, if you have to get down on your knees and beg people to be honest with you over and over again, then that's what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. It's that persistence over time, because what that's what that says is uh, I'm proving to you, my team, that I really mean this. Yeah. And 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 then once you get that little glimmer and you get one person that gives a little bit of honest feedback and the response is thank you. Then it's like, oh, they yeah. really do mean it. Yeah. And we build the credibility over time. You know, one of my first jobs, Steve, out of college was I, I didn't know what I wanted. To, I was I was planning on playing professional baseball. I got hurt, and so that threw me for a loop because I had never planned on doing anything else. And um, so, I, you know, when I first graduated, um, I had gotten married right out of like two months out of grad uh, out of school, and so it was like one of those things where I'm trying to figure out. My wife's got a steady job; she's working at a credit union. And I am trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And so I decide I'm going to try the world, the world of in-home sales. <laughs> and I was selling $5,000 water treatment systems, mostly to people who, if I actually sold them this $5,000 water treatment system, I would have doubled the value of their home. Um, it was, <laughs> it was not great. <laughs> I was in a, a, a crazy area uh, in Florida, but I had a boss um, whose name was Buddy Miles, and but Buddy Miles, no, uh, yeah, Buddy Miles drove uh, like a 1976 Cadillac Eldorado, and uh, he would drive up, and he had the slick back hair and the three-piece suits and the the Ray Bans and the whole bit, and and you know they would give us our leads, and and we'd have to go through this little checklist, and the whole thing for for the deals to get the way that they had advertised to get people to come work for us was we're going to pay you for every presentation you do, whether you sell it or not. So if you, if you don't sell it, we're still going to give you 50 bucks, but if you do sell it, we're going to give you $1,200. So we were like, Oh, okay. So, I, you know, I'm there and I'm watching all this sort of happen and learning of what's going on. And they had this sort of pamphlet that you would go through and you had to get seven no's before they would give you credit for doing the, the presentation. Hmm. And so what happened is you'd have this little pamphlet and, and you'd have to check things off as you're going through. And so the next morning, if you didn't sell, 
you had to sit with Buddy Miles. And he would say, uh, Jim, I noticed that uh, you didn't have a sale. Uh, what, what happened? And, and Jim would go, uh, uh, they, they just didn't, they couldn't afford it. Oh, they couldn't afford it. Is that what they told you? Well, let's, let's, look at the, <laughs> let's look at your paperwork. And he would go through the paperwork and he'd go, you got to this right here. You got to the end of the first page and you know where you have to sit right here about explaining to them that, they're, that the, this is going to save them money by doing this and that. You understand? Now, what did they say when you said this to them? Um, you said, um, that's what you said. You said, um, are you burning my leads, Jim? Are you burning my leads? And, and it became like, I, I literally watched 45 year old men bawling in his office because he was just hitting them so hard wow. and it came down. And when it was all said and done, instead of the person getting paid $50, they were getting charged 200 for burning the lead in <laughs> <laughs> the whole, you know, not, never mind the 700% turnover that we would have every week. Uh, I always sold one, so I didn't have to worry about buddy miles all that much, but I sat there and watched that happen. And it affected me as a, as a 22 year old kid going, I never want to be that guy. And if I ever get to a point where that's how I'm treating people, then I, it doesn't matter how much money I'm making. It doesn't matter how much power I've accumulated. It's just not going to be worth it because that's not what I want to be known for. But I still feel like as crazy as that was back in, in uh, you know the early 90s, um, there's still a lot of people who choose to manage that way and, and lead that way through, through fear and intimidation. And yeah. I think this call for, for love and, and courage and all those things wrapped up heart, all those things wrapped up in one is so desperately needed right now in this country uh, that um, I, I am hoping that people hear your message in the new book and really take it to heart. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree. There's uh there's a lot of work to be done, and you know, there's been some good progress made over the years too. That's right. Uh, this is not as radical a thought as it as it was once upon a time. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but we we still have we have a lot of work to do. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are definitely canceling uh, Buddy Miles as a guest on the next episode, I would love so he to will have, not be here. I would love to <laughs> number have one him as a guest. So, Steve, where um, I, I know your new book is out, um, but I'm sure you've got some other projects that are going on. Anything that you want to talk about here? I mean, we certainly want to drive people to your website, but what, what are you working on, and where can people get a hold of you? Yeah, so uh, if you can remember my name, I'm really easy to find. So on Twitter, Steve Farber, LinkedIn, Steve Farber, Facebook, Steve Farber, Instagram, Steve Farber. You got the, you got the, he owns it Steve all. Farber SteveFarber.com. Um, we have a company called the Extreme Leadership Institute, which is our uh, learning and development and consulting side of the business. Uh, you can check that out at ExtremeLeadership.com. Um, we've, uh, my team and I have collectively brought uh, 28 companies onto the best place to work list. Nice. Wow. That is so awesome. That is we've awesome. got a great track record, and, we, and, and it's really all about operationalizing love as a business practice. And speaking of that, if you go to um, loveisgoodbiz.com, um, I have on there a, uh, you know, speaking of assessments, I have a self-assessment. It's not a 360, yeah. but it's a good way to hold up the mirror uh, and you'll get some ideas on how your um, how you, your self-perception on how you're cultivating love, et cetera, in the way that you're uh, leading and working right now. That is fantastic. That is great. Yeah. And by the way, we will put all of this in the show notes, you know, so for those that are 
driving or, or working out or whatever, you know, you can go grab all of those details. I'll make sure that I get a couple of those from you, Steve. But those are those are fantastic places to send. We're we're just we're huge fans of yours, and like I said, I've always loved your uh, your stuff. I'm I'm definitely going to go jump and, and grab love. It's just damn good business, but. Really, we're so appreciative of you just taking a few moments and uh, sharing a couple thoughts. You know, I know you brought one from Terry Pierce. We got one from Winston Churchill, but I know you're such a great ambassador of just thoughts in general, and uh, we can't thank you enough. Thank you, guys. It was my pleasure, and what a blast. Thanks for making my day. Oh, man, you made ours. All right, buddy, we'll talk to you soon. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to make sure you don't ever miss an episode. And if you're interested in having Brant or me or both of us speak at your event, we're exclusively represented by Kepler Speakers, the industry's leading resource for booking conference keynotes. To start your unforgettable experience, go to KeplerSpeakers.com. Until next time, rock rock on. on.